I'm Kat. I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. So before we get started today, we just wanted to thank everyone who um, voted for us for the Listener's Choice Award at the British Cod... Cod Past? (laughs) (laughs) The fish-based podcast (laughs) reward... uh, rewards oh my god oh my god (laughs) literally 30 seconds in and my brain has decided you know what you don't speak anymore english (laughs) we want to thank everyone who voted for us in the listeners choice award at the british podcast awards yes got it there we go um you said words yes finally uh so voting is is closed now and we'll find out on saturday who won which you know obviously not gonna be us but yeah maybe we'll find out uh how many people actually did vote for us or or if if we even made the list who who knows (laughs) um but uh yeah if you did vote um and if you have put up with us asking you to vote, then thank you. Yes. Thank you very, very much. It's much appreciated. Yeah. And that moves us along to this week's kiss. And this week I am taking you all back to my homeland uh, with the kidnapping of Shannon Matthews in February of 2008. And this came just nine months after the disappearance of Madeline McCann who we will never cover on this show because if you say her name three times in a row, her parents show up with a lawsuit for impeding the investigation. Nine-year-old Shannon's case dominated the British media for a short period of time, but all was not as it seemed. No. So let's get into it. Um, Shannon Louise Matthews was born September 9th, 1998 and grew up in the Yorkshire town of Dewsbury. Um, And... She had a somewhat dysfunctional childhood, we'll we'll call it. Um, At the time of her abduction, she lived with her mother, who was 33-year-old Karen Matthews. Um, Her mother's partner, Craig Meehan, who was only 22. And four of her seven siblings, um, and the other three siblings lived with their various fathers. Um, they lived on the Moorside Estate, which is a council estate in Dewsbury. Uh, so for those of you outside of the UK, a council estate is basically a housing estate made up of social uh, social housing, which is owned by the government, but it's overseen by the local council. And there is a massive shortage of social housing in this country or any kind of affordable housing, let's be honest. Uh, because during uh, Thatcher's reign... Did I say that during the time that Thatcher was prime minister, (laughs) there was a scheme wherein you could, if you lived in a council house, you could apply to buy it, uh, which was great for home ownership figures. And it supported the idea that if you're poor, but you work hard, you can achieve everything the ruling classes have, uh, like a secure roof over your head, which, you know, is a fucking human right and everyone should have. Um, But that has now left a huge shortage and it's actually now quite difficult to get a council house. Whereas at one time, if you were a single parent not working, claiming benefits or welfare, you could actually quite easily get social housing, get a council house or a council flat, but now not so much. 
and part of that is due to like a decade of austerity mm-hmm. among and changes in the benefit system um but because of this kind of st- stigma around it you know single parents working um not working uh lazy claiming benefits there is a real stigma around social housing and i'm going to assume like the same thing in other countries as well because uh, it has also become like associated with laziness high crime levels sponging off the state yeah like the equivalent you might see it like um in new york city you you hear about the projects that was like i was thinking like is it like the same as like the projects but then i thought i'm just gonna leave out a comparison (laughs) because i don't know yeah same idea although in the states generally there's the added um assumption that the majority of residents in these like social housing uh developments are black or other uh minorities of color yeah i mean in parts of the uk you get that as well not so much well actually they're in west yorkshire so that isn't a lot more multicultural than like where i live in north yorkshire north yorkshire is very white mm-hmm. um but yeah you get the same thing like there's the assumption that you know, all these illegal immigrants uh, living in social housing, claiming benefits. It's like, illegal immigrants means they are unknown to the state, so they cannot actually <laughs> claim benefits. It's not how that all works. Like refugees <laughs> or asylum seekers and things like that as well. And the assumption is that they're the ones getting all the council housing and bringing crime and, you know, paedophile rings and everything, because white people never do that. No. So on February 19th, 2008, nine-year-old Shannon uh, just vanished on her way home from school. Um, It was like any other school day. Sometimes her mother Karen walked up to the end of the street to meet Shannon on her walk home. But this particular day, she had gone shopping and uh, the kids were expected to make their own way home. And then Karen would usually get home at around 4 p.m. And primary schools like the one Shannon attended would usually let out at about 3. Um, and Shannon was last seen at 3.10 that afternoon, just outside the school gates. At first, when she didn't come straight home, Karen wasn't too worried. Uh, she thought that Shannon maybe stopped by the park to play with some friends. But by 4.30, uh, Karen started to worry that Shannon hadn't come home yet because it, that was pretty out of character shannon she never really wandered off or stopped anywhere she usually came straight home from school um and something to keep in mind here it's february in northern england and by 4 p.m you know you're getting into the sunset territory um and so it's gonna be dark it's winter um temperatures regularly drop below zero at night and shannon only had her school uniform, which would typically be like a skirt and tights or uh, trousers and a shirt and jumper or a cardigan and her shoes and winter coat, which like only goes so far in very cold and dark overnight. So approximately 6.45 that evening. So this is almost four hours since Shannon was last seen. Uh, her mother called her, called the police to report her missing. And as this is a missing child case, the police respond, responded pretty much immediately. And they quickly began a search of the local area. 
so the in initial search was around the local estate, knocking on doors, checking with family and friends, but none of them had seen or heard from Shannon. Uh, but many, many of them, you know, immediately went to the Matthews home and obviously some would have stayed at the house to, like, be with the family to comfort them, you know. Many others just straight out, straight up went out and helped police, like, no questions asked, just, that's it, that's what we're doing now. Mm. Um, but again, no trace was found in the local area. Um, so the next morning, uh, still no trace of Shannon, the search was widened and police began to suspect that Shannon had been abducted rather than um, run away or rather than her simply like getting lost or or stuck somewhere on her way back from school. So although Dewsbury is a decent sized town, it's surrounded by rural land and there's a country park nearby. And police initially thought that it was possible that Shannon had decided to go exploring one of these areas and just gotten lost. Um, uh, so now they're thinking, well, maybe someone took her instead of she just wandered off somewhere. Um, so the search was ramped up and eventually included more than 200 officers from Yorkshire police. And the story was run by local news outlets later that day. So in sort of serious cases, you know, such as abduction and violent crimes, uh, the victim's families are assigned a family liaison officer or a floor. Hello. And their job is to liaise between the family and the police. So a floor will keep the family up to date on any developments, uh, but their primary role is actually to investigate the case. And they gather information from the family. So this doesn't necessarily mean that they're investigating the family themselves, but they will try and find out more about the victim and about the circumstances. And one of the floors who was, well, most cases there's only one floor. This had two. <laughs> um, and the reason it had two was because the first one got quite suspicious of the family and wanted a second opinion. So a second floor was brought in. And her name is uh, Detective Constable Christine Freeman. And she was immediately suspicious of the way the family was acting. So we've now got two of them who are suspicious. So when uh, DC Freeman arrived at the house, so this is a day after Shannon had disappeared, she's been gone all night, uh, the mum's boyfriend, Craig, whether the kids considered him a step-parent, we're not sure. Um, we don't know how like close that relationship was. Um, but anyway, he was sat in the living room playing games on the Xbox. Mm. So regardless of how close or distant your relationship is with your girlfriend's kids you would at least make an effort to look concerned that one of them has been gone missing overnight. You know, just just look concerned, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, one would hope you would. Yeah, I know people deal with, with stuff like this in, in different ways, but this is still an active, very active search. And she's been gone less than 24 hours, and this is like a, a critical stage. Yeah, exactly. In looking for, for a child. Yeah. Now... Mr. Meehan's behavior was not the strangest thing the police uncovered during that visit. Amazingly enough. Um, during questioning, Karen said that she had six children, um, even though we know she had seven children, including Shannon. And the police knew that, so they found that a little strange. Um, the other... 
Uh, notable finding was uh, found above Shannon's bed where police found the words, quote, I want to live with my daddy written on the wall. One of the strangest things happened when uh, the Flo's phone rang uh, and her ringtone was some pop song. And apparently Karen then got up and started dancing around the living room to the ringtone, you know, less than 24 hours after her daughter has gone missing in the middle of being questioned by police. A little weird. It's very, very strange. Yeah. And although it is very strange, even slightly suspicious behavior, there was nothing to really point to the family as having anything to do with Sharon's disappearance at this point. Um, by the end of that first day, more than 300 officers had been drafted in to help with the search. And in the days that followed, hundreds of people from the local area had mobilised to help find the young girl. So Dewsbury is kind of in the middle of like Leeds, Bradford, Huddersfield and Wakefield. So they're four cities in West Yorkshire. And Dewsbury is almost in the centre. Mm-hmm. And there were people coming from all these cities and really from all over the north of England travelling to Dewsbury to help search for this missing girl and most of them didn't even know Shannon or her family Um, the community search eventually got so big that police had to tell them thanks but no thanks because there were so many people they were worried about crime scene contamination if Shannon was found that makes sense so instead the community set up a base at their local housing association building and they got T-shirts and leaflets printed and went out in the local towns and cities to raise awareness of Shannon's case. Local supermarkets donated the T-shirts. Print shops did the flyers. You know, it was very much a community effort. Like, everyone came together to help with the search. Um, And the press was all over this story. Um, Karen was advised by police to not do a media appeal. Um, Now, we're not entirely sure why but police do tend to know, you know, what they're doing when it comes to abduction cases. Uh, yeah, I mean, we know that it would, like, it could put Shannon in more danger. We just don't know the exact specifics. Yeah, the reasoning in this case. We didn't look into it enough. But, yeah, some abduction cases, they will say, yeah, go do a media appeal, and some they will say don't. don't yeah, yeah, it really depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Um, so, despite this advice, uh, Karen did do an appeal with the media. Um, police also warned the family to prepare themselves for the worst because after 48 hours, the chance of a kidnapped child being found alive um, is very slim. Like, very low likelihood. Um, but Karen was adamant that Shannon would be found alive and well. She never seemed to, like, entertain the idea that Shannon could be dead. Now, as we said at the top of the show, Shannon's disappearance came just nine months after three-year-old Madeline McCann went missing from a holiday resort in Portugal. But the way the two families were treated by the media couldn't really have been more different. So, Shannon disappeared walking home from school. Madeline and her siblings were left alone in a hotel room while their parents ate at a nearby restaurant. And yes, they went to check up on them every 30 minutes or whatever it was, but that still leaves another 29 minutes where something could happen. 
The McCanns were this respectable middle-class family. Both parents were doctors, and it was a resort in Portugal, which was seen as, like, more middle-class, and not somewhere like Benidorm in Spain, which is associated with, like, the working classes and cheap package holidays. And so I remember both cases quite vividly. And one thing I will always remember from the Madeleine McCann case was, like, Everyone where I lived, my parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, neighbours, friends, parents, literally everyone said, if they were like us, meaning working class. Uh And it happened at like a cheap resort in Spain. We'd lost custody of our other kids and we'd be in prison by now for like child abuse or neglect or something. And the Shannon Matthews case kind of really does prove that theory. It proves that poverty porn is very much a real thing in the UK. And I'm assuming elsewhere, but obviously these are all UK based. Yeah. So to go into that a little bit more, um, poverty porn has a lot of meanings, but in the context of British popular culture, it is reality TV shows that focus on poor working class people, typically the unemployed and their problems. Um, they're shows which take people in very vulnerable positions and exploit them for entertainment. And, you know, the middle and upper classes love it because they get to watch the real world from a safe distance and it reinforces the idea that if if only you worked harder you could have a better life and that you know the people that they're seeing on tv are are lazy and deserving of the sort of poor circumstances that they're in um and the working class like watching it because it shows them that no matter how tough your life is at least you're not the people you're seeing on tv yeah, and that is a very real attitude. Yeah. That like we grew up with that, like at least we're not them. Yeah. We might not have all these other things, but you know, we're not them. Yeah. It's a it provides a a mental distance of like, well Oh yeah. At the very least. So one of the best examples in the UK of, of something like this would be the Jeremy Kyle show, which has now been cancelled. Um uh there are also other shows like Benefits Street. Um, and so this case kind of had a perfect storm. You had the missing child of it all, but you also had the poverty porn angle as well. And like probably a U.S. comparison would be like Jerry Springer or, um, uh, Maury Povich's show, the whole like, you are not the father kind of thing. And another staple of the, you know, British reality TV poverty porn is bad parenting. And pretty soon, information began to surface that friends and neighbours had made numerous reports to social services, raising concerns about the Matthews children. It quickly came to light that Karen had been investigated multiple times by social services for neglect. Now, neglect is different from abuse. In very very simplified terms child abuse is usually defined as non-accidental injuries or harm to a child whereas neglect focuses on a failure to provide for a child so you know for example food clothing care and love like emotional neglect is a thing Mm. um you know to the extent that it is damaging to the health so to put it simply shannon and her siblings weren't being harmed directly by their mother and her various partners over the years but they weren't being provided for as they should have been, you know. And uh, sometimes it's like the parents, you know, as parents, you're supposed to put your child's needs above everything else, mm-hmm. above your own. 
And I think uh, from what I've read around this case, a lot of it was uh, Karen just didn't yeah. do that. Um, and these reports dated back as far as 1996, uh, which was you know, shortly after the birth of Karen's first child, when she was, I believe she was 20 when she had the first child. Mm-hmm. Reports to social services included that the house was filthy and smelled bad, uh, that the children didn't have shoes except for their school shoes, that there was no electricity in the house because Karen didn't always pay the bills, um, and that the children would be left alone at night sometimes while their mother went out. Um, in 2003, social services found that, quote, the children showed signs of neglect, um, and at one point the children were put on the at-risk register And a report into the family home was commissioned. But by the time the report was completed, nine months later, the children had been removed from the at-risk register and they were all allowed to keep living with their mother. Uh, So Shannon was one of seven siblings to five different fathers. Um, Her mother, Karen, didn't work. She lived off of welfare. Um, And she was sort of painted by the media as a, a welfare queen. Karen had some sort of learning difficulty which made her very vulnerable um and led her to seek acceptance from people and they sort of latched onto that and manipulated her and karen mistook the attention that she received from these individuals as love now obviously this isn't an excuse but it is something social services should have taken into account when deciding what steps to take to protect shannon and her siblings um Now, unfortunately, thousands of children and young people go missing in the UK every year. Uh, Many are found within 24 hours, but there are still hundreds who aren't. And the media isn't really that interested in those cases. Now, obviously, the Madeleine McCann case was huge because they were this middle class family on holiday in a supposedly safe resort and all the rest of it. But for the average missing child, the media just doesn't give a shit. And that is the sad, cold truth. And this was actually a talking point in the media for... Well, it still is talked about a lot, but I know of a year following Madeline's disappearance, it was a huge talking point about why the case of one little girl was given so much press coverage and so much in taxpayers' resources that other cases weren't given. Yeah. And so... I mean, the media and as well as like the police and the government, they were all under pressure to prove that they cared as much about missing children from poorer backgrounds, from like BAME backgrounds, as much as they cared about, you know, middle class children like Madeleine. Yeah. And uh, the independent newspaper summed it up quite well, saying, quote, Kate and Jerry McCann had a lot. There were a couple of nice middle class doctors on holiday in an upmarket resort. Karen Matthews is not as elegant nor as eloquent. So, as Taylor said before, it was a perfect storm. You have a missing child case, poverty porn, child neglect, and this actually did hold the media attention for quite some time. But, as with all storms, (laughs) it did eventually blow over, and the press did start to get a bit bored. But before they did, the Sun newspaper, which, yes, are the scum of the earth in terms of British tabloids, but they did offer a £20,000 reward for information leading to Shannon's safe return, 
which they then upped to 50,000 on March 10th when Shannon had been missing for 20 days. And in those first 20 days, more than 300 police officers had been assigned to the case, along with 60 detectives. And to put that into into some kind of perspective, the average missing persons case might get three detectives at the most, usually only two, and they usually work in other cases as well. This case had 60. Uh, 1,500 motorists were stopped in and around uh, West Yorkshire and questioned, uh, and more than 3,000 homes were searched. And the whole search operation involved more than 10% of the entire West Yorkshire police force. And when you've got, like, say, there's four big cities surrounding Dewsbury, plus the whole sort of rural areas and other towns as well, that is a hell of a lot of manpower for one case. It's a huge, huge, like police push never see that Um, the uk has 27 specialist trained sniffer dogs and 16 of them were deployed as part of the search and the search for shannon became the biggest police operation in in the whole of yorkshire since the hunt from for the yorkshire ripper in the 1970s and it came in at a cost of more than three million pound but still there was no sign of shannon um, so all that's going on three weeks after Shannon went missing, her mother shared her own theory with the press about what she thought had happened to her daughter. Karen told the press that she thought Shannon had been taken by somebody who knew her and knew the family. The press of course ate it up, but the police weren't happy. Um, the family, you know, had been assigned their, their two flows, um, But in the three weeks since uh, Sharon's disappearance, Karen had not shared this theory with them whatsoever, despite the fact that in in this situation, the flow or flows in this case are with the family all the time. And they're, you know, the line of contact between the family and the police. So why the fuck hasn't she shared this? supposition thus far um just a little red flag yeah a little weird um so a couple of days later on march 14th a distant relative of karen's partner craig contacted police and told them to look at michael donovan who is um craig's uncle donovan lived less than two miles from the family yet there had been no contact between him and shannon's family in the three weeks that shannon had been missing Uh, Police learned that Donovan had two children of his own who were now in foster care, and he had a previous abduction charge for trying to kidnap his own children from the foster family they now lived with. Um, And now, with this being the most promising lead in the case so far, police rightly decided to pay Michael Donovan a visit. On March 14th, police visited the home of 39-year-old Michael Donovan whose real name is actually Paul Drake. Yeah, they visited him just to ask him some questions. But he didn't answer the door, but a neighbour came out and told police that they'd heard a child's footsteps in the home, and they thought they might have heard these footsteps whilst Donovan was out. So now police are incredibly concerned that there's a a child being left in the house on the road. And so the officers just straight away just broke the door down. You know, preservation of life, you don't need a warrant. Yeah. 
they began searching the house and during the commotion one of the officers heard a child saying stop it you're frightening me and so 24 days after she disappeared from outside of her primary school shannon matthews was finally found hidden in the base of a bed in a flat in dewsbury wild uh (laughs) so officers got shannon out of the house and asked her where donovan was and she said he was also hiding under the bed um the officers had been in such a rush to get shannon out that they had completely missed donovan uh yeah there is um so in one of the links thing it's true crime society so it's we'll put the link in the show notes they do show you like a plan i think it's that one of like how they were both in like curled up in this bed base and so you could quite easily miss someone if you've like you hear a child's voice and you're like obviously tell them to come to you and they come to the edge you're not looking in the rest of the bed yeah yeah in the heat of the moment Um, as well yeah because at first i was like how do you miss a grown man and then when i sort of thought about it i was like yeah because you're going to be like oh my god we found her get her out of here safe get her yeah exactly you know you know obviously get to hospital get checked out everything yeah um yeah so upon finding him in the bed um donovan was arrested on the spot and he and shannon were taken to different police stations which is quite smart actually yeah um so Shannon was immediately placed under police protection and was put into uh, the care of social services. And this allowed police to keep Shannon under protection for 72 hours while they investigated further. Um, the local community were ecstatic. There were street parties and fireworks and everyone was just so happy and relieved that Shannon had been found alive and well. But as is often the case, this was not the end of the story. So, when Donovan got to the police station, he was asked, you know, is there anything he wanted to say? Um, and this is before they go into questioning. So I think it's kind of that gray area because don't, you don't have a solicitor with you or any kind of legal representation. But Donovan said, go and arrest Karen. Hmm. He then got, then got his, you know, solicitor, public defender. And through the solicitor, he made a statement to police wherein he accused Karen of forcing him to kidnap Shannon or she, Karen, would have him assaulted by three men. And this three-page-long statement detailed how the two of them had planned to hold Shannon until someone offered reward money. Then he would release Shannon, for lack of a better word, at the local outdoor market and then find her wandering around and the two of them would then split the reward money. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, so a week later, when Shannon was still under the custody of social services, members of the local community started to become concerned about her and what had really happened and whether she was, you know, going to come home. Um, Karen was finally allowed to come and identify Shannon a week after a week in protective custody. They hadn't seen each other since Shannon first disappeared. So we're talking over a month now. And Karen reportedly showed absolutely no emotion. She just said, yeah, that's my daughter. Police videotaped their reunion, which is standard procedure in a case like this, um, especially with so many questions and the accusation of Karen's involvement with the kidnapping. Um, And Shannon 
came running up to her mother, but Karen again showed no emotion and didn't really seem to care that much that she was finally reunited with her daughter. So a few days after the reunion, on April 2nd, Karen's partner Craig was arrested for possessing indecent images of children. So the family's phones and computers had all been taken at the beginning of the investigation and this was to try and help them figure out where Shannon could be. You know, for example, could she have met someone online who had groomed her and then kidnapped her? Um, so it wasn't actually so much that the family were under suspicion as, you know, fa- uh, like a fact-finding Yeah, just trying to figure type out. Thing. And it was during this search that these images were found. And although this had nothing to do with Shannon's case, the mood of the local community and everyone who had supported them changed. So everyone was obviously absolutely disgusted, but also felt like they'd been taken advantage of. As we said before, many local businesses had helped with the search, you know, the f- with like printing flyers or the, the T-shirts with Shannon's photo on them. One supermarket had even allowed them to go and do their weekly shop for free. And, you know, as well as like the thousands of hours people had spent searching and just trying to raise awareness of Shannon's disappearance. Yeah. Um, I could see how people might get a little... People were a little bit upset. A little peeved mm. at that. Yeah. Um, so following Craig's arrest, uh, many people were beginning to grow suspicious of Karen Matthews's behavior, um, including her friend Natalie, who later told the media, quote, Karen came to stay at my house, and when the TV cameras weren't around, I realized that it was as if she didn't care. She was back to her normal, happy self. Um, She continued, something just wasn't right. I remember one time Karen wanted to watch the news, and Shannon's picture came on the TV. My oldest daughter said, I can't wait for Shannon to come home. I said, being the honest mom that I am, well, it's not guaranteed she's going to come home, so we need to prepare ourselves if that happens karen turned around and said look she's famous now she's on tv don't worry she's coming home yikes uh end quote uh before the yikes (laughs) (laughs) that is it's it could be because you know like misconstrued as completely damning in that she knows that her daughter's alive or someone who has completely lost touch with reality Uh, yeah but paired with, you know, the way she's been acting the whole way through, more points towards her having knowledge. I feel like it's both. It's like someone who clearly has, well, who's not concerned on a, like, base human emotional level. Mm. And also has, like, knowledge of what's, happened to her child in such a way that she is, you know, sitting there thinking, well, this is, this was a perfectly okay plan because it's gotten so much attention. Yeah. And it's, it's the whole, like, she's famous now. Yeah. Like that's the like out of touch with reality thing. Yeah. Like if, if you want your kids to be famous, it is not as a kidnap victim. No, exactly. So Natalie and another friend, Julie, began to theorize that Karen and Craig had had an argument and that Karen was going to leave him, but somehow this plan had gone awry and eventually they confronted her about it. 
So Karen met with her friends, Natalie and Julie, and their floor, Christine Freeman. Was that her name? Uh, sounds right. One of the floors. <laughs> um, and she eventually confessed to them that Michael Donovan had offered her and the kids a place to stay when she left Craig and that they had planned that he would pick Shannon up from school that day and she would collect the other kids, who I assume were either in different schools or, you know, depending on their age, didn't go to school. So we don't actually have details about the other siblings because their identities are all protected by law. Um, so yeah, she would gather up the other children uh, and go to go to the house, collect their things, and then go to Donovan's house, leaving Craig a few days to get the message and pack his bags and go. This didn't quite go to plan because that day Craig had been ill and, you know, stayed home from work. So Karen couldn't quietly leave without telling him. And Craig was beginning to panic because Shannon wasn't home from school. And because Karen couldn't think up a, a reason as to where Shannon was, she just decided to go along with Craig's panic. And when he suggested calling the police, she did just that. And the whole story then got out of control. So Karen was promptly arrested by her flow for the abduction of her daughter on April 6th. But even though she was under arrest, police didn't really buy that the idea that this was just a misunderstanding that had somehow sort of spiraled out of control. They believed that there was more to the story and they continued to question her. Um, they had Donovan's story that they were going to wait until the reward money reached 50,000 pounds and then, quote, release Shannon and find her at the market. And um, and his claim that then he would split the reward money with Karen. While the police continued to question Karen, they finally got forensic results from samples that had been taken from Shannon when she was first found by police. And as often is the case, it was much worse than anyone had imagined. Um, Shannon had been drugged with a whole cocktail of pills from travel sickness tablets to prescription-grade opioid painkillers and antidepressants, which, you know, easily could have been lethal for your average adult. Shannon was just nine. That's the thing. Those, those tablets are made for adults. Yeah. They are not made for children and and you're mixing all this shit together. Uh, yeah. And so obviously the story broke and people were heartbroken. Not only had like all these people and, and local businesses invested so much in trying to help find Shannon, people from all over the UK, people who had never met this family had sent money, food parcels, all sorts, just to try and help them out. And there were even people who had lost their jobs because they'd taken unauthorized leave to go and help with the search. And it's at this point when police finally learn the real motivation behind Shannon's abduction. That was money. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, in case you couldn't tell what that was leading up to. Um, so it was reported that Karen Matthews had, like most of the UK, closely followed the story of Madeleine McCann in the press and she had seen how much money had been given to the McCanns. They were actually given enough money and donations from the general public to pay off their mortgage. So it gives you 
It was a big ass house, and this is pre-recession. Yeah, gives you an idea there. Um, yeah, and as well as the amount uh, given to them in donations, there was obviously a huge reward offered for the safe return of Madeline. And within days of her disappearance, it was up to two point five million pounds. Um, so, inspired, if if you will, by <laughs> the McCann case. For lack of better phrasing. Yeah, it's not really... Yeah, there's not really a word you can use other than inspired by. (laughs) Inspired by nefariously. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, Karen and Donovan had concocted a plan to kidnap, in air quotes, Shannon, hide her way until someone offered up a huge reward, and then Donovan would find Shannon at the town market, claim the reward, and the two of them would split the money, which is exactly what Donovan had told police um, in his statement. So, obviously, this wasn't a very well thought out plan. No. How would they get to the market without being spotted? You know, the UK is very CCTV heavy. We are constantly being watched in any town or city centre. How could they be sure that Shannon wouldn't try and escape or tell someone i mean we know obviously she was drugged to keep her docile but how could they be sure that once she was you know released she wouldn't tell anyone and they've also not thought about the psychological damage that this is going to have on shannon which we will get to in a bit but i mean i feel like they were not concerned with the psychological psychological damage certainly yeah, it was just kind of, oh, here's a, a quick, you know, money-making yeah. scheme. And that seemed to be all they thought about. Um, then something else had been found in the forensic tests carried out by Shannon. After So once she was released by, uh, once she was found by police, they took like urine samples, hair and blood samples. And obviously this cocktail of drugs had been found in a urine, which meant she'd been drugged fairly recently. But... Uh, the analysis of her hair found that Shannon had been drugged on and off for the past 20 months. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so Shannon and her siblings were all removed from the family home and placed into foster care. Shannon's siblings, you know, as we said, all have their identities protected, so we don't know what happened to them. Um, Shannon herself was given a new identity and placed with a foster family. Uh, Their mother, Karen, was charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice, child neglect, kidnapping, and false imprisonment. And Donovan was charged with kidnapping, false imprisonment, and attempting to pervert the course of justice. Um, Craig Meehan's sister, Amanda Hyatt, was arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender. Their mother, Alice Meehan, sister of Michael Donovan, was arrested on suspicion of attempting to pervert the course of justice but both were later released without charge um karen's partner craig meehan was found to have no involvement in shannon's case but in september he was found guilty of 11 offenses of possessing indecent images of children he was sentenced to 20 weeks but released the same day as he had already spent longer on remand than the sentence would have been and can we just talk about that? Yeah. 20 weeks and for possession of child that's, porn. That's, that's the is. thing. Like, 
to not mince words as indecent images of children does, this is possession of child pornography. And he's also possessing child pornography while living in a house with five children. Yeah. And I completely understand the arguments of, you know, if you spend like a year on remand, that's a year knocked off your sentence. But 20 weeks. Yeah. For possession of child pornography. Yeah. I mean, we have talked before about how fucked up the justice system is and, you know, people are in prison for like really petty crimes that, you know, should probably be dealt with via social work and things Mm -hmm. like that. This is not one of those crimes. This is a crime where the sentence should be measured in years, not weeks. Like, and it's weeks. That's five weeks. You know, like, if you can... There's not even half a year. If you can count it in weeks, it's too short. Yes. It's like, you know, you don't count... You stop saying a baby is months old at 18 months. That's a year and a half. If it's only 20 weeks... It's not enough. Karen and Karen Matthews and Michael Donovan went to trial in November 2008. Donovan stuck to his story that he had helped Karen in the kidnap plot, but Karen continued to maintain her innocence. Uh, she claimed her partner, Craig Meehan, had forced her to take the blame and that she was so scared of him that that's what she did. And so she confessed. Uh, On December 4th, 2008, Karen Matthews and Michael Donovan were found guilty of kidnapping, false imprisonment and perverting the course of justice. And in January 2009, they were both sentenced to eight years in prison, but were both released after serving just half that sentence in 2012. And this is including the amount of time they'd served on remand. So it's four years from their arrests in the spring of 2008 rather than from their convictions in 2000, well, late 2008. Karen has been given a new public identity, although authorities did not consider her mentally capable of maintaining a completely new identity, and she will retain her real name for any contact with authorities. Shannon will now be 21. Following her rescue by police, she received counselling and psychotherapy for months, And we can only hope that her foster family were able to give her a good life. Um, As we said, new identity, so nobody knows what's happened to her or her siblings. We can only hope that they had a better life. Yeah. And that is the case of the kidnapping of Shannon Matthews. What do we think on this one? There's a lot. (laughs) I just... Well... I mean, clearly, Karen Matthews was not in touch with reality and common sense. No. Uh, not at all. And, like... It, it seems very sort of childlike thinking, this, this plan of theirs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know how you decide that this is a good idea no and i like you know 
you can't help but feel horrible for this poor kid who was yeah. <laughs> trapped in a bed frame and drugged mm. and like and now then has to come out of that when she's been found and be faced with all of the press that's happened about the case, all the media attention, which started out positive and then turned and, you know, yeah. and, and then to learn that her mother exactly was the one behind it. Like, and her, her own mother is the one who's orchestrated this thing. So like, you've got very conflicting sentiments yeah. And like it's just it's awful. Um I will say impressive police response in this yes. case considering yeah. considering everything, considering the socioeconomic standing of the family like and I mean it is northern England and the the socioeconomic standing of the police up here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, um, everything is much less we receive a lot less funding up here than in London, for example, or yeah. down anywhere down south. Yeah. Generally gets more funding than the north. So that the response was amazing. Yeah. Uh like very impressed with that. And I I was reading something about the case and I was saying that um while when they were interviewing Shannon after she was found, they took great pains to like sort of make sure that they were doing that in a way that was not damaging to her psyche. It's like they were, they were doing, you know, short segment interviews, like 10 minutes at a time and like very much looking out for her well being, which is also great to hear in a situation like this. That I think was, was a brilliant response. But once again, we have massive failings on the side of social services. Yeah. And like we said, they are always overworked, underfunded. You know, there's not enough people work in social services. They don't have the money for enough people to work in social services. And I know when we did the Victoria Columbier case, um, and we briefly talked about Baby P, which was another horrendous child abuse case. And the head of the social services in that area of London, Haringey, mm-hmm. said, you know, social, social workers are always blamed because people don't want to, people can't bring themselves to accept that parents harm their children, so they blame social services. And I completely understand that line of thinking, but it is also your job, is to protect these children. That is where social services come in. Social services is a safeguard for vulnerable children. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, there it should have been a lot more intervention early on. That's the thing. Like, it and seems like there were plenty of signs yeah. from this family that something was going on. And it wasn't just with like one kid or one time. It was like the kids didn't have shoes. You know, yeah. like the kids were hungry, the, the house was filthy. They there was no, they were left alone. There was no electricity. Like, these aren't it's not a one-off incident yeah exactly and the other thing about this case is as we talk, we've talked about the the media coverage it it had the potential to 
really carry on this discussion about the inequality of resources and coverage for missing children. Mm-hmm. But then because it all came out that, you know, it was it was all like a plot devised by the mother to, to make money. It was kind of like, oh, it doesn't really matter that we said those things and that we were we were horrible to them and this, that, and the other because, you know, it turned out to be true. They were horrible exactly. people. Exactly. It reinforces it, the stereotype. Yeah, and it derailed, completely derailed this discussion about the, like, say, the allocation of resources and media coverage to missing children's cases. Yeah. Um. And, no, like said just just the fact that it happened in the first place, and no thought was given to what this little girl would go through by yeah. her mother. Exactly. You know, and her siblings. Like, yeah, of course, yeah. You you find out, you know. Your your sister's missing, and then you know, like two months later, you find out, oh, mom just squirreled her away somewhere for some extra cash. It's it's a very sad case, and I remember I didn't really know much about it. I remember it happening, but I didn't know sort of the much about the family until mm-hmm. I went and did the like deep dive research for it, and. I always remember it being kind of like a, a sense of relief. Okay, she was found alive. Yeah, okay, the family of uh, like shit for doing this, but she's alive, she's safe and everything. And then finding out like when I was reading like she was drugged and that there'd been all this like uh, sort of intervention previously mm-hmm. by social services. It's just very sad. Yeah, yeah, it's just... And, disheartening it's just going to be scarred for life and that's the worst part yeah so on that note we yeah, always do very... this we wind it down to yeah. the very worst of things and then we say thank you for listening <laughs> uh, we need another um like canoe man or yeah we need something i'm sure fun. we have like a fun fraud kiss because that's what this is actually is fraud it is fraud it's just which it's at a high it, human cost yeah um yeah we'll find a fun fraud kiss yeah so stay tuned for for those upcoming episodes um thank you for listening come and join us on social media uh you can join our facebook group square mile of murder the podcast tell us your thoughts do you remember uh shannon matthews disappearing uh do you remember the media coverage what do you think after hearing this episode if you didn't know about it yeah um and if you would like to help support the show even more than you know just listening and telling us your thoughts on social media uh, you can become a patron of the show for just one dollar a month which i think is about 80 pence it's not haven't much. Checked, haven't checked the exchange rate for a while. I don't, you know. It's, it's, I'm actually scared of what July will bring, you know. <laughs> we have a pandemic. The world was, you know, half the world was on fire at one point. Murder Hornets made a brief appearance. Yeah. I want to know where they went. I'm a little concerned they, about that. They were a filler chapter. Uh, but that, that always... Yeah. You can't you can't load the gun with murder hornets in the first act and not expect it to come back in the second act. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. So yeah, one dollar a month, and whatever that is 
the exchange rate works out at about 80p. All patrons get usual episodes a day early. Uh, $2 and up patrons get some exclusive merch and $5 plus get bonus content. And the more of you that sign up for Patreon, the more bonus content we can make. Yeah. So if you have a few spare pennies and want to help, head over to patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder. The link is also on the website. Yes. And thank you for listening. We will see you all next time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Bye.